When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Jamie Goldberg. I'm here as always with Caitlin Murray. It feels like we haven't talked to each other in a while. Uh, we didn't record a podcast last week. So Caitlin, it, it's good to be talking to you. Yes, we're in the full swing of playoff season, I guess. The regular season's just ended, and there's been a lot going on. I'm not in Portland. I'm just warning people in case this podcast <laughs> sounds bad. I'm not using my normal recording setup. I'm not in Portland right now. But there is a lot of soccer because uh, we didn't record last week, so we got to catch up. Uh, and we got to look ahead to the playoffs. This is you know, what we've been building for all season. Yeah, um, it's kind of a random week to, you know, have a break from, from the podcast just because there was the international break anyways. But this gives us the opportunity, like you said, to preview both the Timbers and Thorns playoffs. As we'll recap, they are both going to the playoffs. And um, <laughs> I guess let's start there. I mean, the Timbers clinch a playoff spot in their final day of the regular season against San Jose. They win three to one. I think I was a bit more optimistic than you. I thought they'd win 2 nothing. I thought Blanco, who did score, and Abobasi would score a goal. He didn't. Um, you were a little bit more pessimistic, thought a 2-1 loss with the Timbers' own goal. That I was I was very yeah. pessimistic. We don't have to sugarcoat it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, someone had to be pessimistic because I, you know, the Timbers uh, haven't been playing super great. I felt that it wasn't the worst guess. I mean, it was 50-50 just based on the Timbers this season. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get with them. So I figured I'd hedge. You, you'd you take the positive route. I would go a little more negative. Didn't pay off for me, <laughs> but I think our listeners are glad that I was wrong. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that prediction kind of shows where we're kind of at with the Timbers. It has been a very up-and-down season, but they do, I, I guess, finish on a high note. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the game. I, I mean... Mm-hmm. What changed? The attack finally came alive. This is this is an attacking group that was having trouble scoring consistently, scores three goals to close out the season. So what do you think changed? Yeah, I think the Timber scouting report for this game on the earthquakes was probably the thing that everyone has been talking about since Matias Almeida went to San Jose, which is that the Quakes play this demanding, unique, man-to-man marking system. And I think this was just a great matchup for the Timbers. I think... That system sort of played into the hands of the way the Timbers play under Giovanni Savarese. They have this free-flowing attack. Players have freedom to get into different spots on the field. And I think they really leaned into that, saw a lot of rotation. Timbers forced the Quakes to sort of chase them around the field. And I think that created openings for the Timbers. So 
I think that's part of it. I mean, the Earthquakes came into this game needing to win. Playoffs were on the line. They had to open themselves up. So I think that gave the Timbers a distinct advantage. And, I mean, we don't consider players like Dairon Espria or Andy Polo to be particularly effective or productive players, but they are fast. They can transition quickly. I think that was helpful. They really forced the Quakes to try to run and keep up with them, and I think it worked out well for the Timbers in that regard. Yeah, I think the Quakes were also just in a really bad run of form. And coming up against a team that had lost five games in a row, I think for the Timbers, that that gave them sort of an inherent advantage coming to the game. The Quakes need to win. They hadn't been winning. That's a lot of pressure on them there. And like you said, once the Timbers scored the opening goal, I think that changed the entire game. Had San Jose scored first and been able to sit back, that might have been different, but Timber score first, San Jose equalizes, and then once the Timber score again, it, it's basically over at that point. So I, I think that the man marking system was also something that, like you said, the Timbers took advantage of um, in terms of the rotations. I, I thought this was a very good example of the Timbers being free to rotate throughout the field in, in the attack with the, the main three attacking players being able to basically go centrally uh, to either side throughout the game. So I think that was a definitely a conscious choice by Giovanni Savaresi to give his attacking players that freedom uh, against a team that was playing like San Jose. Uh, so I, I think that all worked to the Timbers' advantage. For me, the question coming out of this game is sort of that worked against San Jose for very specific reasons Is that going to be something the Timbers can carry into the playoffs? Yeah, I think that I'm not ready to declare that the Timbers are a great team because (laughs) they beat the San Jose Earthquakes. I mean, look, I do think that momentum is a real thing. And this is a performance that you can build momentum off of. This was a good matchup for the Timbers. At the same time, I mean, they're facing RSL next. I mean, talk about good matchups every time the Timbers have faced RSL They have beaten them, so that's another good matchup. And I do think, to be fair, you know, the draws against the New England Revolution and Sporting Kansas City, if some calls had gone differently, both of those could have gone down as wins. And then maybe we we would be having a different conversation. We would be talking about how the Timbers are on a three-game winning streak and they're in amazing form going into the playoffs. So... I do think there's a bit of that, but at the same time, sort of what we talked about up top, it's tough to sort of know what Timbers team you're getting at any point. They've just been so up and down this season that I do think this was a good performance. I don't know if this tells us that much about what we're going to see when the playoffs start. Yeah, you mentioned uh, not knowing what you're going to see. Let's talk specifically at a, about a player uh, where it seems like Ooh, we don't know be? <laughs> what we're going to see. Um, yeah, uh, Dairon Espria gets the game-winning goal in, in the San Jose game. He gets the start. I, I know a few weeks ago uh, we we were saying, I was saying specifically that I wasn't sure if Espria, that was you. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was me. Uh, was going to you know play any role with this team moving forward after his sort of a weird moment, uh, not shaking Gio's hand on the sideline. But here he is, Mr. October, Mr. November last year. It seems like Espria always comes alive at this point in the season. Uh, Kenji wants to know, is Espria exhibit A for coaches telling pundits and fans that they don't know what they're talking about? And just adding to that, why is it that Espria always seems to play his best soccer at this time of year? 
Yeah, I think this is one of the world's great mysteries. I mean, we've got Stonehenge. We've got, you know, what happened to Malaysia, Airlines Flight 370. Why is Dironosria so good in October and November? I mean, there's no logical explanation for this because statistically, he has been one of the worst forwards in all of Major League Soccer during the regular season. And then statistically, he's a really good player when playoffs roll around. So I don't I don't know how you explain that. You know, the, the only other player that I can sort of compare him to is Carly Lloyd. And I've talked about this. She is someone who, in friendlies and in games that don't matter, she looks like kind of a bad player. I interviewed Pia Sunhaga for my book, and she said that Carly lost her spot on the team because she turned over the ball constantly and took a bunch of bad shots that she shouldn't take. That sounds exactly like Dyron Espria when he's not playing well. But then when the stakes are highest, Carly Lloyd scores game-winning goals in gold medal matches 2008-2012, scores a hat-trick at the 2015 Women's World Cup final. Dyron Espria, we can go through all the big goals that he has scored I think there are certain players who step up in big moments. Dyron Esprit is clearly one of those players. I think it's a shame that we don't really see the same guy during the regular season, earlier parts of the year, when the stakes are a bit lower. But I guess, thank goodness, from a Timbers standpoint, that they do have him because, you know, they wouldn't have made it to MLS Cup last year and they wouldn't be in the playoffs this year. Yeah, it's it is definitely a mystery as to why this seems to happen. I, I think, you know, to some degree, him coming off the bench when when that's what it is, when he's coming off the bench like, like he did last year, just providing that speed against maybe defenders that are more tired uh, in playoffs or going into extra time. Maybe that gives him an advantage, but I don't know. It, it That's sort of reaching just to try to figure out what it is. Like you said, some players just step up in the postseason. I don't think the criticism, however, uh, that we've had of Espria has been unjust. Uh, and I, I don't think, you know, even Giovanni Savresi or anyone would say, look at this to the to the pundits or the analysts, because like you said, he has been one of the worst strikers in MLS during the regular season. And there's a reason why he's not getting the playing time uh, that even though he comes up in, in the playoffs. I mean, he hasn't been starting this year. He started, I think, way too many times last year during the regular season. And I don't yes. think the playoff form, you know, really changes that. Um, yeah. But it's great to have that weapon that seems to uh, come out of nowhere at the end of every single season. Yeah, I haven't looked up because, I mean, we are technically, you know, we're still in the regular season. So he's Mr. October. We're still uh, in the regular season. I haven't looked up the latest stats, but last time I checked, he had the worst shot to goal conversion rate of anyone yeah. in the whole league, like in the history of the league. So that's pretty bad. I'm sure he has improved his numbers somewhat because he scored in his last two games. But yeah, it's weird thing, hard to explain. And it sort of makes me wonder, you know, we talk so much about there's not a place for him on this team. We don't see him coming back next year. Maybe there's a recency bias, and that's why he keeps returning, because at the end of every season, he plays really well. So maybe he'll do enough that he'll be back next season. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, 
coming out of the San Jose game, do you feel like, and you sort of touched on it with the two previous games, um, just that you, you know, if calls went the other way, the Timbers might have been finishing the season with three wins in the row. Do you feel like this is a Timbers team right now that's taking momentum in the, into the postseason? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I sort of... Uh touched on that like I said I I think momentum is a real thing but I don't know that that's what we've been seeing from the Timbers quite frankly I think this game against San Jose had very unique circumstances San Jose had to win so they really opened themselves up like I said I think the matchup worked well in their favor I don't know that I've seen enough that it's you know like 2015 against RSL they start to go on this amazing run and you kind of see in every game that they're playing with this confidence and they're clicking in a way that you hadn't seen previously in the season and it looked like they could contend for a title I haven't really seen that I do think that the draws against Sporting Kansas City and the Revs were close the Timbers looked better than they had all season long or at least at least for stretches before that but I don't know that I've seen enough to say this is a team that really could make a run all to the way to the end they're firing on all cylinders I don't know I think those games were still pretty close and if one call from a referee can sort of decide a game then it's not a convincing win it's not convincing enough for me to say that this is a dominant team who's going to go on the road throughout the playoffs and take control yeah as you pointed out in 2015 they go on the road they beat Salt Lake in sort of a hard-fought game Three days later, they go to L.A., they route the Galaxy, who were a good team at that time, and then they come home and and they soundly beat a a much weaker Colorado team before going to the postseason. There, There was a very clear sign that this team had turned the corner, that they had sort of come together at the right time, and and so I don't think it was a surprise to see them uh, be able to continue on and make that run and ultimately win MLS Cup. I think by the time they won MLS Cup, it was clear that they were the team in MLS that was at that moment in the best form. And mm. I don't feel that way at all uh, around this season. Having covered them since 2013, I, I just don't have the same feeling. You know, that can change quickly. One big win, maybe that's what they need to bring the team together in the postseason, kind of like they did on the road earlier this season when there's final six road games. Uh, of the first 12 uh, that I think they won four of them. But with all the issues going around the, the team with Brian Fernandez, who we'll get to in a moment, uh, sort of exiting the team uh, or going into uh, MLS's substance abuse program at this point with Diego Valeri's injury, which we'll also get to in a moment. It just doesn't feel like a team that suddenly hit their stride. And I, I just don't know how to feel about this group going to playoffs. I think it's a good ending to the regular season, but they have a lot more to prove for me to be convinced that they're going to make any sort of deep run. Yeah, I think that, you know, we've talked about the morale of this team and the morale around the team. And this season just sort of feels like it's destined to sort of end with a thud a little bit. I mean, we'll see. Like you said, it can change very quickly. But I just think the overall sort of vibe and the feeling this season just... This isn't a team that has been thriving. They have been sort of hanging on all season long, pretty much. And it would be a shock, frankly, if they sort of turn it around in playoffs. But I guess that's why playoffs exist, because crazy things can happen and you get results that are surprising and that's fun. So, I mean, we'll see. I do think 
we need uh, Diego Valeri back if we're going to see that. Uh, I just I can't help but think about 2018 when Diego Valeri kind of put the team on his back. Yeah. I mean, Sebastian Blanco stepped up as well, scored a banger uh, in Kansas City. But Diego Valeri really did all the heavy lifting, I think, for that run to MLS Cup. So that is sort of the question that looms ahead of uh, the RSL game. Yeah, and we'll have a better update on Diego Valeri. Um, I should have one on Wednesday. I'll be able to ask Giovanni Sarresi about that. We'll see, you know, if he gives a straight answer or if he kind of doesn't want to say too much about injuries or potential injuries going to this game. But I'll be able to ask him on Wednesday after this podcast comes out. But Valeri, as you alluded to, has been dealing with a calf injury the last two games, and he wasn't able to play in this last game. He was on the bench in the game before Kansas City, but didn't play either. I think one of the things that came up after this game where when it was clear that Larry wasn't going to play, I think there was some questions on social media as to whether this could have anything to do with Larry's current contract negotiation situation. It came out right before that Kansas City game the week before that he and the Timbers, the negotiations for a new contract had stalled and now he hasn't played the last two games. Do you get the sense that there's anything more to this calf injury than just a calf injury? Well, I I guess I wouldn't rule anything out. But I mean, we have dealt with Diego Valeri. And I won't pretend to know him on like a deeply personal level. But there's nothing about him that strikes me as being the sort of player who would just refuse to play when his team needs him and take sort of a petty route in contract negotiations. Because Every interaction I've had with him, every interview I've seen, every bit of social media, whatever it is, everything I've seen points to him being a really good person who, you know, has great moral and ethical character. And he's just a good guy. Like he just he seems like a really nice, good, thoughtful person. I personally couldn't see that as a possibility. And I mean, during the game. On ESPN, they cut to him in uh, a suite um, at the stadium a few times. He was there. And one of the shots showed him ostensibly talking to someone about his calf injury during that game against the earthquakes. And you could see him like pointing to his right calf and I guess describing his pain. I'm not a lip reader, but I think it's pretty clear what that conversation was. So no, I, I don't think there's a conspiracy there. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, when we tried to ask him about the contract negotiations, he immediately said, out of respect to my team and the fact that we have big games coming up, I'm not going to talk about this till the end of the season. And I I don't think that that's the answer a player would give if it's the same type of player that's going to try to avoid games because of those contract negotiations. I mean, anything's possible, like you said, if a player feels disrespected, if they have a slight injury and maybe are just saying, well, I'm not going to push it for for this team if they they don't respect me enough or they don't care enough to give me a new contract. I I mean, it's possible. And I, I think it will be interesting. And I don't know that this conversation will go away if Valeri can't play. Uh, against Salt Lake, uh, because obviously this was sort of pegged as a minor issue. And so it'd be very surprising at this point if if essentially a a month out from when it first happened, there was still an issue three weeks, uh, a month out, there was still an issue. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I agree with you and everything we know about Diego Valeri. It's just hard to imagine it's anything more than a calf injury. Of course, I, I mean, like you said, it comes at a terrible time for the Timbers, because I think 
that Valeri is a player that's put the Timbers on their back uh, in the on his back in the past. He's been it was a huge reason why the Timbers made the MLS Cup final last year. Obviously, in 2015, he was a huge reason why they won the MLS Cup. And especially now with uh, Brian Fernandez, that we'll talk about in just a second, uh, not being part of the team for for potentially the entire playoff run. I think this team needs Diego Valeri to have any chance to make a run. Yeah, I would say Diego Valeri is not uh, Jermaine Jones, who, uh, you know, like if Diego Valeri was going to not play because he was in a fight with the Timbers, I feel like there would be other things going on. Like Jermaine Jones, I distinctly remember when he was in a fight with the Revs over his contract, he was like tweeting about it. He's like, all I'm asking for is $4 million or whatever he said. And it was like, you're not helping yourself, Jermaine Jones. Like maybe cool it off. And Diego Valeri doesn't seem like that sort of character who's going to throw a fit. But like you said, anything is possible, but we'll have to get an update. It is bad timing though, because... It's sort of unclear what's going on with Brian Fernandez if we'll see him again this season. Yeah, so let's get into that. Like I said before, Brian Fernandez entered MLS's Substance Abuse and Behavioral Health Program last week. It kind of, he did it voluntarily, so it wasn't because of some incident that had happened, at least uh, any public incident. Um, But at this point, it seems like from what I've heard and what I understand, it's very unlikely that he's going to be involved in the playoff run. Uh, I think, again, we're going to get an update from Gio on that, see what he says this week. But yeah, everything I've heard means that he's probably not going to be around for the playoffs. I think the question this raises for me is, what do you think Brian Fernandez's future with the Timbers is at this point? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of a tough situation to make sense of because I mean we don't know all the details and I don't think we ever will I mean something that I think you know I saw some fans saying they wanted us to maybe report about this sooner this is like a pretty sensitive thing this is a serious thing you have to be really careful with this sort of stuff and I think there are a lot of details that are just never going to come out about this um So it's difficult to say. I mean, Brian Fernandez did speak to some Argentinian media outlets about this, which, frankly, I was a little surprised that he did. But to hear him tell it, he said that he asked the Timbers and MLS for help, that he reached out to them. And even then, it's not exactly clear to me what that means. Like, if he did this to prevent any sort of slip-ups Or if he did slip up and then he reached out because, you know, he knows what he has dealt with in the past. We don't know the exact circumstances that precipitated this. I mean, the only context that we really know is that he tested positive twice for cocaine use and he was suspended previously. So when he talks about not wanting to fall into the same things that happened in the past, I assume that's what he's referring to. So... We don't really know exactly, uh, but I do think there has been a feeling for a little while that something hasn't been quite right with him. I think we've seen it on the field. He has been sort of in a scoring drought. I think his social media, a lot of fans were speculating that maybe he was going through a tough time. So I don't know that we can kind of speculate beyond that in terms of whether he's going to be back or not. I definitely think it's unlikely that we're going to see him in these playoffs. I mean, this is the sort of thing 
that I don't think you can rush. And I, I think the whole point, at least from what he said, is that he is feeling pressure and he's dealing with a tough time and he needs time to sort of process that and deal with that. And if you are putting that on a timer, if you're trying to be back for MLS Cup, I don't know that that's going to be conducive to him getting the help that he needs. So I think it's tough to say. I think it's tough to make sense of. What do you think? Yeah, I think in terms of the contract situation, Paul Tenorio reported that the Timbers did a lot of research on Brian Fernandez before signing him and may have put certain stipulations in the the transfer fee agreement and or his contract Uh, i've heard something similar but i don't think either of us have heard exactly what those are so whether there is something in there that specifically addresses drug use i wouldn't be shocked Uh, so i don't know what this means for what his contract looks like with the timbers whether this changes anything in terms of that situation this is I obviously would love if MLS made these contracts public, although I don't know if this kind of detail would be public in any league. But I I, I think that raises questions to me as to whether the Timbers have an out here and whether they will take it. Um, I, I think yeah. you want to support a player, uh, obviously, going through these things. You don't want to just give up on any person like this. And obviously, Fernandez had a really tough life, and he's dealt with some really difficult things, and he's dealt with substance abuse and he's gone to rehab before and he's still clearly dealing with issues that he needs to be worked out but this is a big investment for the timbers at the same time and if they think this is going to be an ongoing issue that's going to keep him off the field next year i I think from a business perspective they might have to make a tough call here so i'm not sure what this means for his future i I don't think it helps uh, at all um in terms of that but I I think right now it's about getting him the help that he needs. But at some point, there is going to have to, I think, be some business decisions made around this or or something that the Timbers will have to look at, um, depending on what the contract situation looks like. Yeah, and I think that is the question as to, well, first, you know, what clause is in the contract? And then would the Timbers want to use that? Would the Timbers think that that's enough to say, okay, we're just going to part ways at this point? I mean, there can be crazy stuff in players' contracts. I remember, uh, you know, Football Leaks uh, has gotten details of many players' contracts. Mario Balotelli got bonuses if he didn't get in trouble for spitting at players or swearing. There are some weird things in contracts. So I'm sure the Timbers got very specific because this also, you know, as you mentioned, it was not a secret that Brian Fernandez had some issues in his past. And I hate to say it, I think that was sort of the fear about Brian Fernandez is he was clearly a very talented player and the Timbers were getting a goal scorer. But at the time that it came out that they were going to sign him, he was in the middle of serving a multi-game ban because he got in an argument and spit at a player. So there were some questions about, you know, his character, some of the things that he has dealt with and whether that was the right fit for the Timbers where... They talk so much about looking for players who are the right character. They talk so much about character and the culture in the locker room. And that was a question on his uh, on the on the conference call where they, you know, announced that they had signed him. That was one of the questions. How do you sort of talk about character and culture and have a guy who's in the middle of a suspension for getting in a fight with a fan? So I think that was sort of the question. And I mean, what we've seen is Brian Fernandez has been embraced by his teammates. I think he, you know, you see uh, Diego Valeri 
Brian Fernandez hanging out on social media. It seems like Portland is a good place for him and he's been happy here and he has been embraced. But this incident where he's going into this treatment program sort of raises questions that maybe for a while we didn't think would come up that we thought were fine. And now we have to kind of go back to what we were talking about before he even joined the Timbers. So we'll have to see what happens. I think I speak for both of us, though, and I say, I hope that, you know, he gets the help that he needs. And, you know, it seems like a positive thing that he recognized, uh, you know, his own uh, vices or, you know, his own need for treatment or whatever it was. And I hope that this works out for him and we can see him in Portland again, scoring the goals that the Timbers were expecting him to score. So uh, we'll have to see what happens, though. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that's an important point to make that he has seemingly been embraced here by his teammates, by by the coaching staff, by the fans. And from everything I've seen, for the most part, he, he has been a good professional here. And it does seem like he overall has been a good locker room guy. I'm not yeah. sure what's happened around this. Obviously, he couldn't play for what they had said was a stomach virus, which now feels very much like it was related to these issues going on uh, for yeah. essentially the last month. But there, there is a sense that when he came in, he, despite whatever issues he had in the past, at least, at least for the beginning of this, that everything was going really, really well. And that the Timbers actually liked having someone that brought that sort of competitive edge to a locker room that maybe at times was too nice. So I, like you said, I, I, we wish him all the best. And, and that's, you know, the first priority the, the business stuff is going to come later, but it, it, at the moment, it's just making sure he gets the help he needs. I think it does, you know, raise questions for the Timbers in the playoffs and whether they can be a competitive team, be a team that can make a deep run without him. Um, I want to get your thoughts on that, but I'm also going to just bring in Michael's question here now. Um, in talking about that, I mean, Michael says, are the Timbers now Sebastian Blanco's team? And, uh, and, and will they go as far in playoffs as he can take them um, in the context of the Fernandez situation, in the context of what we talked about, uh, about Valeri? What do you think? I've been saying since last year that I think uh, Sebastian Blanco is the best player on the Timbers. I think obviously we see what he brings to the attack. He has these individual moments of brilliance. You know, he'll score a crazy goal from really far out. He's incredibly active in the attack, really good at combining with the players around him, all those things. I think defensively, he puts in a lot of work that maybe isn't always recognized or appreciated. And Diego Valeri does a lot of great things in the attack, too. Like I mentioned, he carried the Timbers on his back in the 2018 playoffs. But Valeri is sort of a passenger defensively a little bit. He cannot track back in the way that Sebastian Blanco can. I think not having Blanco, we saw when uh, he wasn't available that the Timbers were significantly worse <laughs> without Sebastian Blanco. So is this Blanco's team? I mean, I don't know. I still think Valeri at this point is really important to what the Timbers do on the field. I think off the field, he is a leader and important presence on that team. I don't think you can underestimate his leadership. And, you know, talking about a player like Brian Fernandez, Diego Valeri, I think, is someone who makes new players feel welcome and brings them into the team. He plays an important role. So 
I don't know if I'm ready to say that, you know, Sebastian Blanco is the guy. Diego Valeri is still on this team. And until we know what happens with this contract, for me, I still think he remains maybe the most important all around holistically, you know, not just on the field guy on the team. But I mean, there's no question in my mind that Sebastian Blanco is incredibly important. And uh, I don't remember the exact details. Uh, You can jump in. I know that the Timbers signed him to a new contract and gave him a big raise. I think he deserves every penny of that. He is a very important player. And I think going forward, he will be the guy. It will be his team. I'm just not sure that that's the case quite yet. Yeah, the the new contract's a little bit confusing to to understand how much more they signed him to just because uh, the way the MLS Players Union does it, it is very strange. They basically annualize the salary, e- even if it's a, a salary for a second half of the year. It essentially comes off as mm-hmm. way more than it should because of how they uh, put the metric, even if it's signed in the second half of the year. So right, okay. we'll find out more about exactly what he's making, I think, when those numbers come out in April. But yeah, he got a raise. He got an extension. The Timbers are certainly planning on building around Blanco moving forward. I, I think, yeah, what you said, this is Valeri's team. I, there's, I, I don't think you could say it's Blanco's team. I think anyone looking in on this team would think this is Diego Valeri's team. It has been for a while. It still is. But Blanco, for me, is the most important player for the Timbers heading into the playoffs. So, like you said, it's a holistic thing with Larry. He does so much, and he could be important in helping carry the Timbers in the attack. But I think Blanco, I think a lot of Larry's assists this year have been secondary assists. Um, He's definitely had some good assists. He's definitely had some good goals. But I think his numbers are a little bit skewed based on uh, things like that. I think that Blanco is, at this point in his career, is much more likely to have that moment of brilliance like we saw against Kansas City in the playoffs last year that sort of send the Timbers through uh, just being able to find those goals from outside the box when the Timbers just need someone to pick up and and lead the attack and so I I think they're both going to be important I I think if Valeri like I said can't play for some reason and that concerns me with both him and if he and Fernandez are both out that concerns me about how deep the Timbers attack is and whether they have enough to make a deep run in the playoffs. But yeah, I think Blanco is going to be the most important attacking player for the Timbers going into this run. Yeah, and we'll get to it when we get to predictions. But I, <laughs> I'm i expecting Sebastian Blanco to continue to work his magic in this playoff. So uh, yeah, he, he's really important. There's no denying that. I just, you know, I think he hasn't quite earned to say that the Timbers are his team, yeah. but I think it's definitely trending in that direction. So we kind of mentioned a little bit, but Timbers at Real Salt Lake, first round of the MLS Cup playoffs this Saturday, October 19th, 7 p.m. The winner of this game will play the winner of Seattle-Dallas on Wednesday, October 23rd. Interestingly, if Dallas wins, the Timbers could actually have a home game again, which we were not expecting to see the Timbers at Providence Park again this year, but it's still very unlikely, I think, for two upsets in those games. But if you want to hold out hope for a home game, I'm assuming Timbers fans are already probably rooting for FC Dallas unless they're really rooting for the rivalry game in the playoffs. Um, But yeah, if you want a home game, root for FC Dallas. The Timbers have, uh, we touched on this a little bit, but the Timbers have done really well against Salt Lake this year. They beat them 2-1 on the road in May. Steve Clark saved a penalty kick in that game. And then they beat them 1-0 at home in August when they were otherwise having, I think, a pretty poor run of form. And so you touched on a little bit, but can you elaborate? Do you think the Timbers... 
could have had a better matchup than this. Yeah, I mean, I think going against a team that you've beaten every time you played them this season is obviously pretty good. I think also the fact that the Timbers are going on the road, I think actually benefits them. I'm I'm curious if you agree, but I just think with the way the Timbers have played at home, it hasn't been good. I think there's been this feeling from the Timbers that they are supposed to be dominating at home and they can't really do what they want to do, which is sort of sit back and counterattack. So I think going on the road for playoffs really plays into the Timbers' hands. I think that's a better scenario for them at this point than playing at home because, you know, like I said, they haven't been great at home this season. So I I do think Utah is tough to play at just because of the altitude. And I know they're probably going to get acclimated to it, and I'm sure there are things they do, but that is sort of that extra little thing. And in games that can be so competitive, maybe we're talking – you know, just a couple percent difference when you're dealing with altitude, but that can make all the difference. So that is tough, but I think the Timbers have just looked a little better on the road. They can be the road warriors, the underdogs, and sort of play the way they want to play. They don't have to pretend to be something they're not. They are a counterattacking team, and they're going to be allowed to do that in Utah. Yeah, I think I agree with you that based on the team they are – being on the road sort of seems to suit them in a way. I think that in playoffs, it changes a little bit. I I think there just is this really big home advantage, especially in playoffs when everything's on the line and teams are fighting for everything. I just think a low-seeded team in a single elimination playoff format going on the road, even a team that's been good on the road, it faces a uphill battle. Uh, so I, I'm not as maybe as confident Um even though the Timbers are heading to Salt Lake. I do think the Timbers have done well at, against Salt Lake in part uh, because it's a team that it is does well defensively but maybe isn't going to score the goal. The Timbers do better when they can find that first goal. They, they found the goal, obviously, against Salt Lake. I, I'm actually not sure if that's one of the games they came back against. Um, I don't know who scored first in the first game they played against them, but there was uh, so they few... came back against Toronto and then okay, so the, so they must have scored. It first. wasn't all right. Yeah. So yeah, again, like they found the first goal in both these outings. I think that's changed things for them. I think yeah. facing a better attacking team, the Timbers are, are are in a tougher situation because if they give up that first goal, they're so bad at, at sort of responding to that. Uh, but Salt Lake mm-hmm. is a team that's known for being good defensively and not quite as good in the attack. Um. So I think the Timbers' ability to counterattack to potentially find that first goal on the road puts them in a position, and the confidence of having beat Salt Lake already twice this year does put them in a position where they have a good chance of winning this game. And I do think of the options they had, which were really Minnesota, Seattle, maybe Galaxy, um, or Salt Lake, I think this is by far out of those the best option the Timbers could have got. Yeah, and I I guess I sort of gave you all the reasons the Timbers could win. The reasons the Timbers could lose is that home field advantage in MLS is more pronounced than I think any other league in the world. Home teams definitely have the advantage to win. So if I were betting money in Vegas, I would just always bet on the home team. So from that standpoint, yeah, this is going to be a tough game for the Timbers. I certainly wouldn't go in expecting them to win, but... I think it's a winnable game. I think there are reasons to think that they can win this game. 
There are still some question marks. Well, you know, we'll have to see what's going on with Valeri. See, knock on wood, if there are any other injuries or absences or anything like that. But I do think there are reasons both of these teams can win this game. And so this is going to be a pretty good matchup. And I think it's, I am really interested to see how this playoff format works as well. Yeah, we'll see how the Timbers do. I think if you want to be optimistic, you have reason to be. If you're going to be pessimistic, you've got plenty of reasons for that as well. So let's hit one listener question before we get to the hot take segment. I think this is an interesting one that we just might not end up touching on in the future. So I figured let's talk about it now. Leslie wants to know which 12 players do you think the Timbers are going to protect uh, protect in the ex- upcoming expansion draft uh, that's going to be coming up later in November? Well, Jamie, I did not look at this question or think about it at all. And I know you did. So I'm going to let you take this one because I have a feeling that I'm probably going to agree with you. I think, I mean, we can kind of go through it. I think most of them are pretty obvious and maybe we can talk about which ones we think are sort of on the line. Um, But why don't you take this one? Sorry uh, (laughs) to not contribute to this one. (laughs) Um, I think, I think that, you know, first of all, Foster Langsdorf, Marco Farfan are protected automatically. Eric Williamson as well, because they're homegrown players. Uh, Mm -hmm. Timbers inherited Williamson's homegrown rights. So those players are kind of out of the mix. There are certain things in contracts that force you to potentially protect players if it's uh, like a no trade clause. So we don't know if there's a few players on this list that just flat out have to be protected. uh, And that obviously could play into it. But that aside... I kind of wrote down 14 players, and, and, and the players I wrote down are Blanco, Chara, Clark, Konechny, Abobasi, Loria, Maviala, Perez, Tuiloma, Valeri, Viafania, Fernandez, Morera, and Valentin. And the Timbers are going to have to only protect 12. For me, the players I think that come off are, I, I don't see the Timbers protecting Fernandez at this point. I think that that's an opportunity for them to put out a player that other teams are probably going to be pretty wary to pick up, especially with that big contract. And we don't really know at this point what the Timbers' opinion of their future with Fernandez even is uh, and what's going on from a a business standpoint from there right now. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of left off that. And then I think it probably could come down to maybe a player like Zarek Valentin. He was left off last time. I, I don't know that they're going to protect three outside backs. Um, yeah. I, and so if it's going to be one of those three, it sort of feels like Valentin's the odd man out, even though he's a player that I don't think the Timbers really want to lose. Um, but yeah. what are your thoughts? Are, are there any different players you think we could see off instead? Yeah, I sort of wonder if... I feel like uh, center back is a position where they just need to improve anyway. I mean... I don't want to, fans are going to freak out no matter what we say. So don't listen to me. But I wonder if Bill Tulioma is someone that maybe, do you really think that other teams are going to take him? I mean, he's sort of a backup at this point. Uh, He can start. He has started. He gives you some depth because he can play uh, defensive midfielder as well. But I sort of wonder if they leave him off kind of expecting that he's not going to be taken anyway. So he sort of jumps out as a possibility. I'm looking through that list. Um, Yeah, I I feel like that's the only one. Because I just have a hard time. Like, they've invested so much in a player like Konechny. They seem to really think that he has 
a bright future, even though he hasn't really contributed a ton at this point, just in terms of getting on the field. But I think they see him as someone who can really blossom into an important starter for this team. I think Luria as well is that sort of player. So yeah, going through that list... Yeah, maybe Tulioma, but yeah. I mean, they didn't protect Valentin last time. Um, he really seems to be kind of an important part of the team, though. Like, a good locker room yeah. guy. I always got that sense that, like, he's a great locker room guy. And even when he first joined the Timbers under Caleb Porter, I remember Porter said to me, you know, when, when players aren't playing, sometimes they get really cranky, and it sort of upsets the balance of the locker room. And Zarek Valentin is not that guy. He will accept whatever role he has, and he's a great locker room guy. So I, I don't think they would want to lose him, but you you can't protect everyone. So you kind of have to think about who do you think is going to be taken. And Valentin is one of those players where are you really expecting him to be taken? So yeah, I think Valentin and Tulioma are probably two good shouts. Yeah, I think that it's going to be a little bit of a, um, you know, you have to gamble. Who are they going to take? Who are they not going to be interested in? So there might be a dynamic where we see someone left off that we weren't expecting just because the Timbers are pretty confident that they're not going to be taken for whatever reason. I think, yeah. you know, you can bring up Valeri here, but first of all, I'd be surprised if he doesn't have a no trade clause. Um, given I would be shocked. So I, I'm pretty sure that he's going to be. A he's player. been in MLS long enough yeah. to know. Because I, I was actually thinking about this with Fernandez. Yeah, I like, mean, it's possible. I would think that he would have a clause to not be traded, but I don't know anything yeah. about his agent. Do they not realize that an MLS trades happen, or that there are these expansion drafts? I mean, it's possible that could be an oversight that wasn't in his contract. But you would think that there would be some sort of clause that he could not be moved elsewhere so and that's part of what's you know this is just speculation because we don't know for sure what the trade clause look like looks like I expect Valeri has one and even if he didn't for some reason I just cannot see the Timbers letting Diego Valeri's tenure with the club end by letting him go in an expansion draft I just that's that would that would be a brutal way to let a player go who has been as important and as just part of the fabric yeah. of this club is Diego Valeri. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, there are a few teams that don't have to participate in the expansion draft because they had players uh, taken in the last expansion draft. So that's mm-hmm. not great for the Timbers. <laughs> With fewer teams, they one of their players could be taken. Um, so that, I think, is going to be a big thing that we'll talk about in the offseason. Yeah. Last time around, they did work out some sort I think it was uh, involving... Um, why am I blanking on his name? Powell. Uh, there was an agreement that Cincinnati was not going to take anyone from the Timbers. So, I mean, the, I don't think the Timbers are going to sit around and let a team yeah. take players if they really don't want a player to leave. They'll they'll be proactive and work out some sort of trade or something yeah. where then there's a handshake agreement that no one's going to be taken. Yeah, I think that had to do with Powell and, and the Audi trade. I think it was all sort oh, of right, handshake yeah. deals in we're already making these trades with you don't take anyone from us so we'll see maybe maybe that'll happen uh there's obviously two teams this time around so we'll see if the timbers have to lose a player or not that'll be for a few weeks from now let's uh keep talking about the here and now let's move on to the hot take segment i think that you should uh lead us off okay (laughs) well let's see how hot uh, the steak is. I always like to uh, gauge the hotness of my <laughs> takes afterward. Um, my take is about the U.S. men's national team and a new competition called the CONCACAF Nations League. 
The U.S. played their first ever Nations League match against Cuba. Uh, they won 7-0. to And it felt like a complete waste of time and a really bad use of the international break. And the U.S. men's national team had no choice but to play this game. They have to play in the CONCACAF Nations League. And I guess that's my take, that this is stupid and a waste of time. Um, But let me elaborate. So I think that the Nations League serves a purpose. I think it helps teams like Canada. Canada is the sort of mid-tier team. They're in between the really good teams and the really bad teams. I think this is going to help them. Canada is going to be able to play competitive games. I don't know. It's probably a coincidence that the president of CONCACAF is Canadian, but I'll just throw that out there. (laughs) But for the U.S. and Mexico, the Nations League means that they are going to play against worse teams, and in many cases, significantly worse teams. And they are not going to use the window, international window, to play teams in South America or Europe or teams that are competitive and are going to test them. They are going to have to play against teams like Cuba and Bermuda, which are not going to challenge them at all, and they are going to be blowouts. So I am not a fan of the Nations League. I hope that going forward, they're going to restructure it in a way that will make it more helpful for the teams because as much as I don't think it helped the U.S. to blow out Cuba 7-0, to I'm not sure it helped Cuba all that much either. So I'd like to see that change. And what I'd really like to see is CONCACAF look at doing something like this on the women's side. This is where we need a Nations League because... In France, at the Women's World Cup this summer, there were teams competing in that tournament that had not even played any games outside of qualification. They were not playing friendlies. They were not being given an opportunity by their federations to get better. And, you know, Megan Rapinoe, she is not one to mince words. She said it was embarrassing that that was the case. FIFA should be embarrassed. The Confederation should be embarrassed. I totally agree with her. I think that... Men's programs don't have the same problem, the same problem of lack of commitment and investment, and the women's teams do, so they should be pushed and forced to play these games. And yes, the U.S. women's national team is going to run into the same scenario where they're going to be beating Team 7-0, but guess what? That happens all the time for the U.S. women's national team. They're the best team in the world. Look at the victory tour games. They were blowing out all their opponents. Nothing would change. But then you would have more women's soccer teams around the world having a chance to get better. And I think that should be the goal. I think CONCACAF is worrying about something that isn't a problem on the men's side. And they should be focusing on the women's side. So, I mean, that's my take. The Nations League doesn't make sense on the men's side. Change it. Add it for the women's side. I think you actually did a pretty good job of convincing me there because going into that, I was thinking (laughs) I like competitive games. And and so Mm. let's have more tournaments. Let's let's every time we can, let's turn these uh, friendlies that can sometimes be, I, I think, pretty boring into something a little bit more exciting just in terms of having something to play for. So in that sense, I like that this, uh, nation's league now exists, but when you think about the U S missing the world cup and you think about where they need to get to, to make sure that doesn't happen again, I I think you convinced me there that they do need to be playing against better competition. And, um, yeah, I I mean, from the women's side perspective, I'm not going to disagree with that. I would definitely think there needs to be more competitions that get more countries involved in playing friendlies when it's not a world cup year. 
Yeah, I mean, and I don't think the steak is hot because I doubt any of our listeners care about the CONCACAF <laughs> Nations League, but that is exactly the problem. That is why something needs to be changed. So not a hot take, but I, I do think like this is important. Like this is going to determine essentially the international calendar for all the men's teams in CONCACAF for, you know, the next cycle and beyond. And they really need to be more proactive on the women's side. Why are they doing this on the men's side? Why aren't they thinking of solutions on the women's side? I think that's the most galling part about this. So hopefully there's some movement. I mean, it's one problem of like a billion (laughs) in women's soccer that needs to be addressed. Um, But yeah, I'm hopeful that you know, there will be changes going forward. But anyway, I put everyone to sleep by talking about the CONCACAF Nations League. Why don't you bring us back? I was at the Thorns season finale uh, over the weekend and uh, regular season finale. And we'll get into how boring the game was um, because it was a particularly boring soccer game. I think it was the type of soccer game that people that do not like soccer would probably point to as the reason they do not like soccer. But I think part of the reason why it just felt so anticlimactic and it was hard to really get super interested in it was because we knew uh, about an hour before the game started that the Thorns had already clinched third place in the NWSL. And that's because the Seattle Reign, the Tacoma Reign, excuse me, went on the road and uh, Marta scored a late goal and they ended up drawing the last place Orlando Pride 2-2 in their final game of the regular season. And so when that happened, the Thorns clinched third place in the NWSL. And so I think the NWSL needs to have a decision day like MLS does, where every team on the final day of the season plays at the same time so that it doesn't sort of, one, change the way coaches approach games because obviously I Mark rested some players. I don't know if that would have been different. It didn't sound like it necessarily would have been, but the players he's rested, his substitution patterns, things like that may have been different just because the Thorns already knew that they were already going to be in third place. I think that reason alone is important to have a decision day where all teams play at the same time. And then just for the fun, uh, fun of it, because I I think it's hard to go into a game that turns out to be absolutely meaningless on the final day of the season and get really excited for it. And had all the games kicked off at the same time, I think there would have been that, that added level of excitement around this match. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm not the biggest fan of simultaneous kickoffs. And, I, you know, we see that a lot throughout the regular season, um, especially like when I worked at Fox Sports and I was trying to watch every MLS game so I could write about them. It was really tough. There are a lot of simultaneous kickoffs. I don't love that. But for the final day of the regular season, I think you need it because snooze fest is the word that comes to mind when I think about that, that Thorns game. They clearly knew they weren't playing for anything. It was boring. I don't think the Thorns were pushing it. I think they just wanted to get out of it without anyone getting hurt or getting tired. And there was nothing on the line at all. They knew that they were third and there was nothing they could do to change it. So I agree. I think decision day would also be sort of, you know, for the NWSL, a league that I think needs all these sort of inflection points that it can get. Decision day is something you can kind of build towards market, talk about, get people excited about. MLS decision day, I think this year wasn't as intense as some years where it's like every game has something on the line. I think it was a little more subdued this year, but in the Western Conference, it was going to decide what happened. And I think 
anyone who follows MLS knew that this was the day that was going to determine the playoffs, and it was exciting, and everyone was tuning in. And we didn't get that opportunity with the NWSL. We had Seattle, or I'm sorry, Tacoma, uh, against Orlando, and once that was done, the playoffs were set. We didn't need to watch any of the other games. So I agree. I I hope that uh, they go ahead with the decision day. I'm not sure if MLS has trademarked it. I don't think they have. (laughs) Hopefully not. And we can get an NWSL decision day going. All right. Well, let's talk about this game that both of us have um, described in different forms of the word uh, dull. Tedious. (laughs) Tedious. Um, (laughs) was not the most interesting game, but let's let's talk about it because I think there are some important points before we get to previewing uh, Doran's playoffs. I thought the Thorns would win two nothing with the Sinclair goal. You thought the Thorns would win two to one with a Malpew goal. Malpew got injured and had to leave the game early. Uh, Thorns didn't score a goal and haven't Harsh. been scoring goals, so we weren't really on the money there. Um, no. But like we mentioned, the Thorns knew they clinched in advance. They, for that reason, or I think also because they had players coming back from international duty and and, and minutes were limited just around when those players came in. Uh, Dagny Brynjestadter, Mitch Purse started the game on the bench. Uh, Haley Rosso, Ellie Carpenter weren't even in the 18. And it, it's a pretty boring, scoreless draw with not a ton of great opportunities from either team. The Thorns uh, held more of the possession, I, I think, were more dominant in the game. They outshot Washington, but still no goals. Do you feel like we should read much of anything into this game, given sort of the circumstances around it? Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, like, like we talked about, I think the Thorns just kind of, they had to play this game. You can't just lie down on the field and say, well, we don't need to play this game. It doesn't matter. They had to go through with it. I think they just wanted to get out of there without anyone getting hurt, without overexerting themselves too much because they want to be ready for the first round of playoffs. I think nothing on the field is anything I can read into. I do think it was interesting. It surprised me a little bit how positive the players and Mark Parsons were in talking about the performance in that game, because I really did not see it as a performance that was particularly impressive or, you know, worth heaping praise on. Uh, I mean, the Thorns got a shutout. They haven't had as many of those this season, so I guess that's good. But on the flip side... The Thorns have been shut out in four of their last five games, and they were shut out again against a team that I think they could have beaten. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it was a positive performance. I'm not going to read into it because, like I said, they didn't need to win. Um, but I was surprised that they seemed to think it was a good performance. What do you think? Yeah, I think I was pretty surprised by that, too, because both Mark and Emily Menges sort of talked about how this was the perfect jumping off point that they need to go into the playoffs. And I completely disagree with that. I think Mitch Purse was a little bit um, she said it was disheartening not to get the win. I thought that fits a lot more with what how I feel um, in terms of Mm -hmm. building momentum. I think that Thorne sort of needed this win to sort of build momentum into Chicago. And, And part of me wonders if they just had to be positive coming out of this game because now it's on to playoffs and, and they, they can't be looking at the negatives and thinking about what we could have done better in this final game. And they just need to find something that they feel like they can build on. And and I do think if you look statistically, 
I guess they could be happy. Like you said, they got the shutout. They outshoot Washington 21 to five. So they definitely dominated the game. But I'm surprised uh, that there's less, not more concern about what you pointed out, which is that the Thorns have been shut out in four of their last five games. They've only scored six, uh, one goal over the last six games. Um, they were shut out seven times this season, which is a lot for them. And so I think that leads us into Donna's question. And Donna wants to know, what are you seeing different about how the Thorns are playing right now uh, versus when they were winning and scoring goals? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Donna. I think uh, if we knew, then Mark Parsons would probably know and he could fix it. I sort of feel like it's what we've talked about all season long. Because, I mean, this is not a new question or problem when we look at the way the Thorns play. Something has been sort of off with this team for a while. And I think we can sort of trace it back to... when the World Cup ended and the national team players came back, they just haven't looked like they've come together in the way that we expected. They don't look like the team that they should be. When you look at the collection of talent they have, very talented team, it's not really coming together in the way that we expected that it would. And like I said, it's something we've been talking about on this podcast for weeks now, and I feel like we sort of have run out of explanations. I think we're a little stumped at this point. I think you can point to, you know, national team players coming back from the World Cup. Maybe after you win the biggest prize there is to win in soccer, maybe that drive just isn't there as much. Maybe subconsciously, you know, you're you're trying to still care for your club team. Maybe subconsciously some of these players have shut off a little bit. I think we talked about it. Is it... was. Last podcast or the one before, you know, Lindsay Horan was the best player in the league last year, and she has not looked as good as she did last year. I think you can go up and down the roster, and pretty much everyone, for the most part, hasn't looked as good as they did last year. So I think it could be a chemistry issue. It could be the national team players who are your stars, are your best players. They aren't playing as well, and so that kind of hurts the whole team overall. I think there are a lot of possible explanations, but I don't know if we have the exact explanation. So I'm curious what you think it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think the Thorns have been creating chances when you look at just things like their shots versus other teams in some of these games. Um, The Houston game where they won, this game versus Washington. But they only had five shots on target in this last game. I I just think they're lacking something in the final third. And and for me, it does basically come down to the performance of the national team players. I I mean, the Mm -hmm. Thorns have some of the best attacking players in the world, and they've been able to sort of ride those players into the postseason in, in previous years. And... When Tobin Heath and Lindsay Horan and I think Christine Sinclair was in a good run of form for a little while, but she sort of cooled off too. When those players aren't leading the attack, I I just think it's difficult for this team to, to be the team that they've been in previous years. And for me, going into the postseason, if Lindsay Horan and Tobin Heath don't find another gear... Um, and even if they do, we can get into, you know, facing North Carolina period. But if those two don't find another gear against Chicago, I am a little bit concerned that the Thorns are even going to get out of the semifinal. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned that the Thorns outshot uh, the Washington spirit 
you know, I think 21, 22 shots, only five of them on target. I do think that the Thorns have been playing really direct and they look sort of anxious. Like they know that they are not scoring enough goals. They know that something isn't working and they seem to be taking shots that frankly they shouldn't be taking. And they seem to be trying to play very direct. It's not the sort of free flowing, possess the ball, knock it around sort of thorns that we have seen in the past. I think you can kind of see it in the way that they play. Yes, they're getting a lot of shots, but it's not the quality of shots. It's not the stylistic sort of thorns that you would expect or that you want to see. So they are getting shots. I don't know that that is telling the whole story. I think there's almost like a little bit of desperation that you kind of have been yeah. seeing from the thorns lately. So they they definitely need to figure that out going into playoffs because if they're feeling the sort of pressure in the regular season, it's only going to be that much more in, you know, single game elim- elimination. They have to win it or their season is done. So uh, I guess that takes us to the Chicago game. Yeah, the Thorns will face Chicago in the semifinals of the playoffs on Sunday at Chicago. That game's at 12.30 p.m. Uh, I I think the Thorns probably have to be pretty happy with this matchup. They avoided having to play North Carolina in the first game of the playoffs, and they're playing a team that they've done really well against in the past. The Thorns are 10-1-9 all-time versus Chicago. They're 2-0-1 against Chicago this year. Uh, So Sam wants to know, what do the Thorns need to do to win against Chicago? And why has this been a good matchup for Portland in the past? Yeah, so I've been thinking about Sam's question, and I think that Chicago tends to play sort of narrow, and I think that they their goal is to get service to Sam Kerr over the you know over the top up the field and that's a really good strategy when Sam Kerr is on your team because I mean for my money, I think she's the best striker in the world, even though. You know, FIFA or any of the major awards don't seem to recognize that. I think that Sam Kerr's the best player in the world. So I think the Thorns have been really good at sort of overloading the middle parts of the field, try to cut off service to her as much as possible. And I think in the attack, I think that the Thorns have been really effective in using the width of the field and, you know, stretching Chicago apart, trying to create gaps. So I think that's part of it. I also sort of think that part of it is luck because the Thorns have not lost to Chicago in six years. That is a crazy run. I mean, that includes when Paul Riley was the coach of the Thorns and the Thorns played in a very different way back then. So I think part of it is just uh, luck or sort of, you know, an anomaly. I don't know that, you know, the strategic things I just described has always been the case. I also just sort of looking at this season, uh, The Red Stars have never lost when scoring first this year, and they are the best team in the league at scoring within the first 15 minutes. So I think that is sort of helpful for the Red Stars, and the Thorns are not as bad as the Timbers at waging comebacks, but they still struggle when the other team scores first. I mean, that's just sort of what happens in soccer, so... We're going to see the the first 15 minutes of this game are going to be pretty crucial. Because like I said, I think for the Red Stars, it's about starting fast and quickly and scoring early. And I think that's what they're going to try to do in this game. And that could sort of determine the whole game, maybe. 
Yeah, I think that it's a pretty simple game plan. It's try to break the Red Stars defense down, which I think the Thorns can do. They've shown they can do that. I, I, the Red Stars have some good defenders, but I, but I think that's something that Thorns have shown, like you said, with using the width that they are capable of doing. And then it's just shut down Sam Kerr. I, I mean, let other yeah. players beat you because if Chicago has to rely on other players to to beat the opponent, they have uh, some other good players. And, and yeah, that could be a strategy that works. But Sam score, uh, Sam Kerr scored 18 goals in 21 starts this year. That beat her own record for most goals in an NWSL season. If you focus all your attention on her it's a pretty good bet that you've taken a big enough bit out of Chicago's attack. So I think their game plan has just worked. They've got been able to find space to, to maneuver in the attack and and they've not always shut down Sam Kerr because I don't think any team can can claim that, (laughs) but they've done a good enough job to prevent her from being as influential as she's been in some games. Yeah. I think when you take Sam Kerr out of the game or when she just is having an off day, the Chicago Red Stars are just that much worse of a team. She is the most important player on that team, and she scores in all different ways. So it's not as simple as just protecting against certain types of shots or certain parts of the field. It's Sam Kerr. You have to focus on Sam Kerr. I think if they can cut off service to her, make sure she's not getting on the ball, I think that's going to be the key. I will say regarding her, though, that the Thorns earlier in the season, um, when they faced Chicago, there was a 4-4 draw. Um, I believe she scored at least one of those goals. But you look at that, then I think they weren't there for the second game, and maybe she was there for the third but I think that she's just playing so well right now that I I, I think that that is going to maybe be different. It feels like Sam Kerr came out of the World Cup. And whereas we were talking about how maybe some of the thorns are tired and it's just hard to get up for these games. It seems like Sam Kerr may have been so upset about how Australia <laughs> finished in the World Cup that she just isn't going to let anything stop her in the rest of uh, the NWSL season. And so I think just for the way she's playing... Um, it, you should always be wary of Sam Kerr, but maybe even a, a little more wary than usual. Yeah, I mean, I was upset about the way Australia played in the World <laughs> Cup, too. So I feel her on that. That, that was pretty devastating. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like uh, what we saw with Crystal Dunn when she didn't make the World Cup roster. She just decided to destroy the NWSL. I think that letdowns can be motivating. I think for Sam Kerr, too, there have been a lot of rumors swirling about her maybe leaving the Chicago Red Stars after the season, maybe going to Europe and sort of proving that she can do it there. I mean, as I mentioned, she has been snubbed by all the awards. I think if she goes and plays in France or England, you're going to see her start to be in conversations for these awards if she continues to play there the way she does here. So it could be a motivating factor as well that, you know, if she is going to end her season with the Chicago Red Stars, she is going to want to go out on top. And I think she's, you know, if she does move, she's going to want to do that on a high note. Um, So, I mean, that could be a factor as well, whatever it is. Uh, Keep doing it because it's fun to watch. Uh, I think Sam Kerr is one of uh, the most exciting players to watch in the league. So 
kind of hope I kind of hope maybe the thorns don't shut her down because I like watching her but I'm sorry listeners I I take that back I hope the thorns shut her down so uh the thorns can advance (laughs) well even if the thorns do shut her down I think a lot of people have this question um even if that happens and thorns advance to the championship Kevin wants to know is the only hope of the thorns winning the championship that the rain knock off the courage (laughs) And essentially, he's asking if the Thorns, as expected, if they were to win, would play the Courage. Do do the Thorns have any hope of beating the the Courage in the final? Well, I don't know that we've seen anything to make us think that the Thorns could beat the Courage unless own goal shows up (laughs) again. What What have we seen that tells us that the Thorns can match up? against the courage or that frankly any team can match up against the courage yeah i i don't think that there is any reason to think that the thorns can beat the courage uh i'm trying to i'm thinking i'm not coming up with anything jamie have do you have any reason to help out our listener there (laughs) um you know anything can happen but I don't think the Thorns are going to beat the Courage if they face in the final. And, and honestly, I, I don't know if they would beat the Rain if they face in the final. They didn't beat the Rain this entire year. So I, I think that's relevant to, to pay attention to. I know the 6 yeah. nothing loss sort of and j- just how good North Carolina has been sort of makes it seem like that's the hardest team for the Thorns to face. And it is, but uh, the Rain are right up there. So I don't think it's going to be a good matchup for them either way. Um, But I think North Carolina is by far the best team in the NWSL. I don't think their national team players have had any trouble coming back in and and, and stepping in and back up to top form. And I think they're going to win the championship. And I I, I just don't think it's going to be that close uh, of a contest. So all I can say is anything can happen because I don't think the Thorns have shown, besides that own goal game, um, besides when national team players weren't here, which doesn't really count for me, um, unless there's some sort of fluky situation, they haven't shown that they can beat the courage for the last uh, two years. You know, I was just thinking, we have talked about this on the Timber side as to whether getting to sixth place and making the playoffs is a success. And I'm curious, do you think that the Thorns season of success because they made playoffs even if they lose against Chicago is that a success or do you think that the the Thorns need to make it to the championship to consider the season a success oh yeah I think the Thorns need to make it to the championship um to consider it a success this team has only missed playoffs once in in their history and they fired their coach that year so the, the bar for the Thorns, I think, is way higher than it is for the Timbers. I think this has already been a, a little bit of a disappointing end of the season, but yeah. they still finished in third place, and I do think for them this is salvageable. But if they lose to Chicago, yeah, I don't think they're coming out of the season. I don't think anyone should be coming out of the season feeling like it was a successful year. But if they lose to Chicago, is it a disaster? Or is it just it's a disappointing season, but we're going to build for next year? I think... Yeah. Missing the playoffs is would be a total disaster. Making the playoffs is the absolute bare minimum for the team. I feel like with the Timbers, conceivably they can miss the playoffs, and it's still a disaster, but it's not as much of a disaster. I think that if they lose to Chicago, it's definitely a letdown. But some of the things we talked about on the Timbers side, this weird schedule because of the construction, Iron Front stuff, World 
Cup disruption. There are a lot of things going on that I think you could sort of look at and point to and say, well, this isn't what we wanted for the Thorns, but we don't think this means that we're on the wrong track, you know, with Mark Parsons or with, you know, some of the players that we have. I think it would be sort of a letdown. I don't know that it would be a disaster if they lost to Chicago, but what do you think? Am I being a little too optimistic about that? I don't think they'd blow up the roster or fire Mark Parsons if they lost to Chicago. So in that sense, yeah, I don't think it would be a disaster. I I think it would be well below the expectations that the Thorns have for themselves as a club. But I I Mm -hmm. think given the World Cup and given how weird the year has been, I think they would get a little bit of a pass there for at least making playoffs and at least being, I I mean, given what this group of players has done uh, in the last few years, it's hard to see that a potential loss to Chicago in a World Cup year is something that's so disastrous you'd have to start over or anything like that. Yeah, I I sort of think, regardless of whether they make the championship or not, I sort of look at this roster and think there needs to be a little bit of off-season shuffling. I, I just think that if you just look at the form and the consistency and don't just look at the table, don't just look at the standings, look at the way they played, I think there should be more activity in this offseason than last season. And frankly, last season, I think we were both surprised that there wasn't more uh, movement in the offseason. They really sort of did nothing. So I think either way, no matter what happens against Chicago and, you know, if they make it to the championship, whatever happens there, I do think they need to address some issues in the offseason. I guess it's just a question of how much do they decide to do that based on where they end up. Well, I guess we will see where the Thorns end up uh, after this weekend. We'll see where the Timbers end up, too. But let's get to our predictions. What do we think is going to happen? Let's start with the Timbers. It's the first game of the weekend. Timbers versus RSL, what do you have? Well, as uh, you heard in our discussion, I was a little optimistic about the Timbers being able to pull this one out on the road. So I'm going to say a 2-1 win for the Timbers. And I'm going to say that Sebastian Blanco is going to score a banger from outside of the penalty box. If the Timbers win, I think that's very possibly what's going to happen. <laughs> that uh, is how it will happen. It yeah. will be that. The, the Blanco goal seems just perfect for playoffs but I'm going to be the pessimistic one this week I think that despite this being a good matchup I do think home field advantage means a lot in MLS particularly in playoffs I think RSL has been one of the stingiest defenses in the league this year I think they're going to be up for this game and I'm just not convinced the Timbers are hitting their stride when they need to be so I'm going one nothing win for RSL uh, and, and Sovereigno is going to score the goal okay Thorns at Chicago. Uh, What do you have on this one? So I think this is going to be a dramatic one. I'm going to say a 1-1 draw, and then it's going to have to go to PKs, and I think the Thorns are going to win the shootout. I'm going to go, again, on the more pessimistic side. I think that the Thorns just haven't shown right now that they're scoring goals, and I think Sam Kerr is scoring goals. So (laughs) I'm going to go with a 2-1 Chicago win. Uh, that would be uh, one of the first wins that Chicago has ever gotten against the Thorns, but I'm just not sure that this is uh, Portland's year with the way they're playing right now. I'm going to go with a Sam Kerr brace. Uh, I don't think that's a high level of difficulty. It could happen, but um, we'll see. Thorns have matched up well against Chicago in the past. Yes, well, 
in terms of results, one of us is going to be right because we did not yes. agree this week. We both went the opposite way. So we'll at least have that. One of us is going to get the result right. So that's exciting. We can yeah. look forward to that. And hopefully you'll be right so we can continue recording for a few more weeks. I, I yeah, hope. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just in a pessimistic mood today. So hopefully um, you got everything right on target and we can keep this playoff run going. So we will see. Um, what is done is the fantasy league that was finished uh, at the end of the regular season. So we have final results. Um, thank you again, everyone for playing and thank you, Mark for setting up the league throughout the year. It's been again, really fun to have this going sort of alongside the podcast in our head to head league. Mark, who was in first place for pretty much the entire season actually fell to third place in the final week, uh, flicking Portland Ooh. FC um, uh, is his team. He's in third Second place was uh, Dan McDowell. That's Danzo McDowell. And in first place, uh, Steve Green uh, kind of jumped over Mark at the end of the season. Uh, That's sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. Um, Mark says, really important of note, Steve won both the spring and fall seasons uh, in this league. So he's a two-time winner. So Steve is very good at fantasy. So that is good to know. <laughs> Congrats. I wish yeah. we had some sort of prize money for you, but uh, yeah. we do this podcast for free. So I do we, have, don't, we a, don't have any money. I do have a few more completely worthless pieces of Timbers gear lying around. So if um, Steve wants Why is any, it worthless? Is it like Lucas Milano it's, gear? It's, it's like old train. I have to look at what I have left, but it's like an old training jersey from like 2012 or like some pair of socks from back then. It's... It's stuff we got a long time ago to sort of have like a fun prize for the league. And I have a a few pieces left. So Steve has any interest in that, uh, reach out to me on Twitter. But um, it is hopefully washed. It is washed. All clean. It is washed. So there's that. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not, uh, you know, a top notch memorabilia. It's sort of fun. Old old school. This is, you know, free (laughs) podcast. We don't have any ads, people. You know, you can't expect the best uh, prizes. Hey, I think I think it's cool, you know, old memorabilia. No, uh, I would take it. I'm just saying, if, you know, it's not an autographed Diego Valeri jersey, but, you know, you'll have to get that on your own. <laughs> um, open League, uh, third place, uh, Ryan, uh, that's Gem City FC. Um, I, I love this. Uh, Christian, um, that's Jamie B. Goldberg FC, uh, claimed the second place. So my name got to... The, the best team name got to be one of the top three winners. Um, and then first place, I think B was uh, the um, leading the entire way. That's Portland Tobin FC. If he, uh, he or she would like some gear, uh, let me you know got again some socks on Twitter. With your name on them, B. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe socks. I have to see what I have left. I should have looked okay. before this podcast, but they are. It is uh some random old timbers gear but if anyone wants it it it, it is clean and it is legitimate <laughs> timbers gear it smells um great. i'm happy to make that happen uh that is all for this week we we definitely ran long uh but i guess it's a big playoff preview we will be back next week to discuss uh where the timbers and thords are in the playoffs after this weekend as always we're soccer made in portland you can find us every week on oregon live and stumptown footy You can also subscribe on iTunes and and Stitcher and also Spotify. And until next week, take care.